You are listening to the Missio Tempe podcast. We are a church of missional communities, living as a family of missionary servants for the good of our city. For more information about our church, visit missiotempe.com. We hope this teaching encourages and challenges you to faithfully take up your role in the Missio Day. For the past couple of months, Clark and I have had a lot of conversations about how do you become good at something? Now, he's one of those kids that's easily inspired by the latest movie he's watched and whatever sport that was showcased in that movie or thing. Uh, we just watched Air Bud last night. And apart from them weeping over, the, you know the scene where he's telling Air Bud to go? He's like, oh. The kids are like crying in the, they're like, no, Air Bud. Clark's resolve was, I am not watching the movie unless I know Air Bud is returning. We had to tell him the end of the story, I guess. But anyways, he is easily inspired and wants to become good at something. And so we have a lot of conversations of how do you actually become good at something? Now, that's not just him. That's probably you too, I think. All of us desire to become good at what we do or to become a type of person uh, that we desire to become. But our good intentions often fall short Uh, They don't actually meet what the desire we have, right? Even if it's unconscious of the desire to become a certain person or become a certain thing, we often fall into old patterns or habits. We find ourselves very similar as we felt maybe a year or two years or ten years ago. Good intentions aren't enough. They don't actually get deep enough. And the the funny thing about uh, being part of this new year, January, is the gym parking lots are going to be packed full for the next maybe six weeks, and then the middle of February, you'll drive by that same LA Fitness, and there'll be nobody there at 6 a.m., because good intentions weren't enough. Something deeper needs to take place for the transformation that you and I desire to experience. I want to talk about that the next couple of weeks, of how do we experience transformation that we so desperately desire or need? How do we become the people we were made to be? And often with our good intentions, we don't actually find the things that we so desperately want to become. We're going to look at Romans chapter 12. If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to turn there. I'm going to read the whole chapter to us, over us, this week. We're going to look at it the next three weeks. I'm going to kind of break it up, but I want you to hear the whole chapter in one reading. Romans chapter 12 says this. Romans 12.1 says this. This is Paul speaking, the Apostle Paul. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Verse 4, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Then listen to Paul just go off here on the different gifts. 
If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's to giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Verse 9, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Verse 12, which is going to be your benediction the next three weeks. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. And then listen to these challenging words. Notice the passage. If it, what we're going to do the next couple of weeks is it's being formed by God. The first couple of verses together. And then now look at the last couple of verses here. For the sake of others. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Sounds a lot like Jesus' sermon on the Sermon on the Mount. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, listen to these words. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is God's word. This is what we're going to look at the next three weeks. Romans chapter 12. Here's what I want you to do. As you just heard those words read over you, I'd love for you to turn to some people around you. What is uh, grabbing your attention? Not just because maybe you like a certain part or, or another, but actually maybe because God is trying to speak to you. What was a phrase, a word, a moment in the passage that you said, ah, that might be a word that I need to hear, that God might want to say to me today? Ready, set, go. As you look at this passage, there's only really one thing that makes this passage different from a New Year's resolution with your resolve to do better, to try harder, to become the type of person that you want to become. There's only one thing that makes it different. It's the very first word, therefore. Therefore. You see it all throughout Paul's letters, and specifically here in Romans. Therefore is simply there to highlight for you, to to let you notice that there's actually a reason why you are to live in this way. Instead of you resolving harder to become the type of person you desire to become, to be the the person that you were made to be, before you resolve to do any of that work, God has already resolved to redeem, restore, and renew you. Read through uh, the other parts of Romans. Let me just read one, one section here from Romans 8 that kind of leads into here, Romans 12. Listen to these words before you get to the work of what it looks like to become this type of people, to become this type of community. It says in Romans 8.1, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, 
Because through Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Verse 14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God, that you get to call to God as Abba, Father. Going further in verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Verse 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither the height nor the depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you're going to hear clearly Romans 12, and you're going to hear the commands of what it looks like to be this kind of people, to be transformed, you have to hear it in the context of the rest of the book. Epiphany is a season, like we mentioned before, of God revealing. But really, Epiphany focuses on the baptism of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 and the other Gospels. And the baptism of Jesus is a beautiful piece of before Jesus was called to do the work of the Father, he heard the identity of the Father spoken over him, that you are my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. That's the same pattern happening here in Romans 12. Now, I'm going to transition this sermon here in a moment from a sermon to a lab in some ways, and you're going to do some practice, and I have a handout for you, and I will get that to you in just a second. But I wanted to give you a couple notes from this passage so that you can understand kind of what's going on. The first thing I want to do is I want to focus actually on just the first two verses for today, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Notice that the two words that Paul uses here is to offer your bodies and the renewal of your mind. Bodies and mind. Now for us, maybe we just move on quickly from that and say that makes sense uh, in some ways, but it should sound pretty foreign to you because you're supposed to offer your body as a living sacrifice. I don't know about you, but uh, in the city that we live in, which happens in some cities around the world, we don't see sacrifices being offered regularly. We're not walking down the street and someone is sacrificing an animal on behalf of some god or goddess or for some reason. It's just not part of our DNA. Uh, some of you maybe have been part of a culture where that's pretty common, and, and this might resonate more with you. But it's interesting because it says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. The beautiful part of our story is that because Jesus was the perfect Passover lamb, the one who was the ultimate sacrifice, you don't offer yourself as a dead sacrifice. You offer yourself as a living one. And interestingly, it's your body. In Paul's day, in this culture, and in ours as well, the body was denigrated. It was like second class. It was uh, something to be done away with so you could fly away to some other place. It was uh, to be liberated from the body was the goal of life. And yet here he's saying to offer your bodies, dignity to the body, your very self, your being, not just a mind, not an intellectual exercise, but your actual body before God. But then you might say, well, wait a minute, though, but it's because it says uh, the renewal of your mind. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is where our language fails us, the English here, because the idea of mind here is not an intellectual knowing. It's not you know a bunch of facts about God, and therefore you experience transformation. The mind is the orientation of your heart, the center of your will, your thoughts, your actions, who you want to become. 
what you're striving after, what your goal in life is, the thing that your heart resonates with. That's the idea of the mind. So you're offering your body and you're offering the center of your person, who you want to become. That's what the vision of Romans 12, 1 and 2 is, offering your body and mind. But again, going back to the beginning of the sermon, I don't know about you, but as much as my good intentions are to experience this kind of transformation, to become the type of person at the end of Romans 12 that can bless those who persecute you, that can feed your enemy, that can live peaceful with all peoples, to become that kind of person, it feels like there's a huge gap between Romans 12, 1 and 2, and the vision there at the end of Romans 12. How do we experience that kind of transformation? How do we enter into offering our bodies in the center of our being to God. So I'm going to have Ben and Brittany. I have a handout for you here. They're going to pass this out to this unevenly crowd here on the right and the left. And uh, there's some pens up here as well. They can grab some if you need a pen. But we're going to try to transition here for a moment. I'm going to walk you through it but from sermon to lab to give you something to start the new year to maybe stoke your imagination for what transformation might look like. As I've been processing over the last couple of months, how the question I've been thinking about, and many of uh, the folks that are, that are leading you in different capacities have heard me ask this question out loud and me process with them, but the question has been, how do people change? How do you change? How do you go from A to C? Like, what's the process of getting to B then to becoming the person that God has made you to be? And the disappointment along the way of that, ah, I keep doing the same things that I did just six months ago. I keep becoming the person that I don't actually want to become. How do you experience change? I think there's four avenues or ways you experience change or transformation. I think these four avenues is what Paul's talking about when he has Romans 12 written here of your body and your mind or the center of your will working together. I want to walk these through and then I'm going to give you a couple minutes to explore for yourself what that might look like this year for you. First one I want to start with is on the right, is your awareness. Is your awareness. To experience transformation often starts with an awareness. You can't change something that you're not aware of. That's the basic rule of even what psychology has taught us. Awareness is the entry point to change. I think in our current cultural moment, we've done a lot of work healthily correcting culture and generations past, maybe in some ways, of awareness of ourselves and our stories, awareness of how we've been wounded, awareness of how our family systems have shaped us. And those are all really necessary and needed things. They just need to be complemented with one other thing as well. And that awareness should also be complicated or complemented with an awareness of God's voice. What is God doing in my life? Henry Nouwen, whose sweet Henry is named after, if you didn't know, uh, he, has a, he has a book called In the Name of Jesus. And it's a book written to ministers and priests, but uh, we believe that we have the priesthood of all believers. So it's written to you as well. He says this, which I think is really helpful. As he's thinking in the 1990s, early 1990s, looking forward to future leadership. So he's writing prophetically here. This is from 30 years ago. He says this, It's not enough for the priests and the ministers, for you of the future, to be moral people 
well-trained, eager to help fellow humans, and able to respond creatively to the burning issues of their time. We're obsessed with those. All of that is very valuable and important, but it's not the heart of Christian leadership. The central question is this. Are the leaders of the future truly women and men of God, people with an ardent desire to dwell in God's presence, to listen to God's voice, to look at God's beauty, and to touch God's incarnate word, and to taste fully God's infinite goodness? I'm not saying to do away with the exploration of your story and yourself. I'm just saying to complement it with an awareness of God's voice and presence. To embody this as a leader, as a person, as part of God's church. To look at God's beauty. To touch God's incarnate word. To taste God's goodness. To listen to God's voice. To cultivate those skills as much as we cultivate the other ones. So here's the question in that first box to the right. How will you grow an awareness of God's presence this year? It could look like daily habits of prayer, listening to God through scripture, silence and stillness and solitude, presence in God's creation. Something about being in God's creation is a way for us to be aware of his presence. That's the first thing, awareness. Second thing is this, affections. Go down there to the bottom right. One of the many flaws that Sarah Hamilton points out for me at many times, which is a fair flaw of the many flaws I have, is often I try to move from awareness of God to action. Kenny, if you know this, then you will do this. Knowledge, awareness, action. But I hate to break it to you. If you go from awareness to action, you often end up bitter, angry, Frustrated, upset that other people aren't doing what you ask them to do, you become rigid, but rather in, because you're not engaging your affections, your loves, your heart. Your heart stays out of the equation. You just go from awareness to action, awareness to action. But your affections really matter. God wants to shape your affections, things that you love. And here's what I want to say. In our moment, again, as a culture, we see our affections as very static or unchanging instead of dynamic and adaptable. We see our affections as the things that we love as just very static. It just is who I am or what I'm about or I just love this particular thing. But our affections are actually made to change as humans, to be shaped, to be formed take on new loves and new desires. Our affections are dynamic. Affections are like an acquired taste in many ways, like a type of food that you enjoy. It isn't a fake it till you make it strategy, but your affections can be cultivated and they can be directed in different ways. So here's my question for you. How will you cultivate your affections for God this year? A couple examples maybe. Music is a way to cultivate your affections for something or someone. It can also be for God. The communion table, which we'll celebrate here in a second, is a way to stoke your affections. It's a tangible experience each week of tasting God's goodness. Uh, maybe some kind of creative outlet, like writing or poetry or drawing or 
even exercise maybe could be the case of cultivating and stoking your affections, orienting your affections for God and his goodness and his creation. All right, go to the bottom left there, your actions. This past week, even if you're not a sports fan, I'm using my third sports illustration of the first one of the year, but the third of the last year. I've been keeping track. Someone can correct me later. But this last week, uh, the headline news on every website was a football player on the Buffalo Bills, Damar Hamlin, went to make a tackle on another player, and he got up, and he moved for about a half second to a second, and then literally just fell down over and was not moving. And then they, they kind of break away, and they come back and realize that, oh, they're performing CPR on him on the field. Like, his heart's not beating. And all these people are watching, millions of people are watching, and then they quickly get the ambulance out there and they take him to the hospital. Interestingly, I think his story is an example of how your awareness and your affections then lead you to action. If you have proximity to something you see, you have an awareness of it, and then your affections are, are you have a feeling, you could see some of the players' faces like they're crying on the field as they watch their teammate, literally not, his heart not beating. So what happens? Awareness, affections, people take action. He was trying to raise $2,500 for a toy drive he was doing from his hometown. The last time I checked, it's over $8 million. How does that happen? Because people's awareness and their affections lead them to action. They want to do something tangible. Same way with following Jesus. Our awareness and our affections being stirred and cultivated then lead us to action. I just want to remind you of the blessed rhythms that some of you are familiar with. Bless, listen, eat, speak, and Sabbath. Tangible ways to take action in God's story, to take your awareness and your affections and and do something with them. The transformation is not a passive experience, but it's an active one. Advent wasn't a season just of waiting passively, but anticipating Christ's coming. So what are the practices or patterns that you'll develop this year? that you desire to develop if you don't already have them. And then the last one, before I release you for a couple of minutes, attachment. We're really good, I think, with the understanding we need awareness of something, our hearts to be transformed, and then take action. I think this last one, though, maybe is the most important. You need healthy models of something. Uh, Before you even recognized it, whoever was your primary caretaker, whether it was a parent or a guardian, they were, uh, you, were bo- you were forming an attachment with them. You were being shaped as a human being, good ways and hard ways, but you were being shaped. You needed someone to model to you how to speak. You didn't give a, a one or two-year-old a lesson in how to put words together. You just speak to them a lot, and then they begin to speak back. This is similar of what we need in the walk with Jesus and following God is you need healthy models. You need attachments. You need ways to see and to feel and to taste what it looks like to have awareness, affections, and actions all play together. We need to watch and see. So here's what I want to encourage you with in this last one. Is there someone in our congregation that you could watch and see this year? Not a perfect example. There's nobody in this room that's that. But something about how they live or a pattern that they develop that, hey, I, I want to be curious and I want to learn from them. They have something to teach me. 
And you need to take initiative in that. Like, how do you actually go towards that person? And they might say, oh, I got nothing, I got nothing to offer you. So if someone comes to you, they're coming in response to wanting to actually watch and see. So be prideful for a second, okay, in a healthy way. And say, yeah, let me actually walk you through how I do this or that. Or best I can, here, walk with me as I do this thing, and we can do it together. And not just that, maybe there's a particular author or uh, a person that you maybe know from afar that you can get inside their brain and their life through their writings or their teachings. Uh, Henry Nowen is a person I've spent a ton of time with. Before Henry was born, I feel like I know him. Never actually met him. But I try to immerse myself in his writing and his life because there's something there for me to learn that I want to be curious about of how he understands who Jesus is. Awareness, affections, actions, and attachment. Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to give you five minutes. I'd love for you to, you don't need to turn to anybody if you'd like. You can process with somebody if you, if you want to. And There's some pens up here if you'd like to use that. I'd love for you just to jot down some notes. As you've been sitting here, thinking about the start of a new year, wanting to experience what Romans 12, 1 and 2 is all about, Here's a good starting place. How are you going to ignite or initiate your awareness, your affections, your actions, and your attachments this year? So let's do that work the next five minutes, and then I'll call us to the communion table. to experience transformation be on your mind, in your heart, to become the people you were made to be. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, and then it has, a, it has a comma there, in view of God's mercy. In view of God's mercy. I'm going to invite Kenny up to the front with Brian. Raul and Reese are going to be serving you communion today. In view of God's mercy. Before you were ever aware of God and went seeking Him, God has been aware of you. It says He knew you before the foundation of the world. Before you ever set your affections on God and desired to love Him and to seek Him, God lavishly loved you. He loved you so much he wouldn't allow his creation to continue in brokenness and despair and rebellion, but he gave us his very son who put his own pain and fear aside so that he might, as it says, endure the cross for his joy, the joy set before him, so that you might be reconciled to God. Before you ever did anything for God or took action in his story, God has already moved into the neighborhood. He has taken action on your behalf. Jesus came and embodied everything you were made to be. 
And before you came to look to model your life after God, to attach to him, think about the creation story. God wanted to give his life to you. He said, hey, watch and see as I walk through the garden and you get to enjoy my presence. All these things are embodied in God. All of them have been given to you as an invitation to live into. And right now we have a tangible moment of tasting that life that we were intended to live through the body and the blood, through the bread and the juice, as a symbol, as a taste of God's goodness, as a way to stoke your affections, to call forth your actions, to give you an awareness, and to model your life after the pattern of Jesus. So would you stand with me? On the night that he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, Jesus took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you, for this is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Every week we recite these three simple phrases. Then whatever uncertainty or fears that you carry, you can cling to these truths, to this reality. So would you say it with me? And then I'm going to invite you to come to the communion table to receive from the King. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Come and eat. Come and eat.